hey, to all my female baggage droppers out there, I have a question for you. Do you like gold or silver? Well, at Brienne and Company Jewelry Store, you can find anything that you like. That's right. Brienne and Company is a jewelry boutique that has durable minimalist jewelry. She uses genuine pearls, local shells and sea glass, natural gemstones, and of course, precious metals. And these are all quality handcrafted designs by Brienne Light herself. Go and visit her at her website, brienneandco.com, or go to her Instagram that's always popping, at Brienne and Company. Thanks, Brienne. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all of my baggage droppers around the world, welcome to another episode of the Drop Your Baggage Podcast, where we talk to people that are dope, that can bring you hope, and teach you a technique that can help you cope. In this episode, we are talking to Brandy Nelson, who is an absolute rock star, should I say a Spartan, but... First, I would like you to, if you're on the YouTube or Facebook platform, please consider hitting the like and subscribe button. And if you're on any uh, podcast platform, give a brother five stars and give me some feedback as well. Now, Brandy here is someone that I personally admire ever since I've met her. She is from Sacramento, California. She is a speaker and she does Spartan runs and obstacle courses. Like if you can see the the wall behind her right now, she's just stunting with all the, the medals that she has. But most importantly, she is a confidence and business coach with H3 and she is helping women all over the world stand in their power and strength. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring to you Brandy Nelson. What's up, Brandy? Thank you so much for that amazing intro, Charles. That was um blushing. <laughs> <laughs> that is a so first. Good to be here. Thank you so much for hosting me. I look forward to uh sharing my story and and encouraging this amazing audience to know that they are gonna be able to break through anything that's challenging you this season. So um, so I'm excited to get started and share a bit about me so that you guys can understand that you can absolutely break through anything that might be challenging you this season and know that you're absolutely strong, capable and worthy of anything that you set your heart and mind to. So mm. looking forward to getting to know you guys today. <laughs> Randy, please go ahead and tell these people some more about yourself and what you've been up to. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, Go ahead and get yourself something to drink and sit down and relax for a minute because I'm going to share um, some deep dive into my story. So um, where I want to start is where I'm at now. So where I'm at now is I absolutely love what I do as a business confidence coach. I've been able to help women all over the world step into their purpose, helping others uh, procure confidence and self-love and navigating healing in all different levels um, using all different methods around healing. So if you're in that healing journey, you're in the right place. Um, healing is a consistent life journey. And the reason that I'm so passionate about helping women in particular is because growing up as when we're younger, there's always going to be that child self, right? And so I became the person I needed. And as a coach, it was those pieces where I said, how can I be the best coach that I can be? And it came from a space of personal healing. And it, because I was able to understand the depths of trauma recovery and um, what it takes to not only go through a healing journey, but to empower myself to do hard things and to set boundaries where boundaries needed to be set 
And so because I was able to exercise these things myself and have such an impact, I said, you know, I'm ready to help others. And when I say a healing journey, we're talking about the deeps of things that carry into our adulthood. I mean, how many of you have thought to yourself, like, how much does your childhood continue to affect you as an adult? And what are those things that you need to face or set boundaries with people um, or these old belief systems that try to, to lie to you as an adult? And growing up, I was um, very much a bullied child. I was bullied on all these different levels. I had permanent nicknames. And one day we had a, uh, a bully um like a motivational speaker come and talk about bullying, right? And saying, you know, if you want to get up and share your story, now's your chance. And I got up in front of my entire class body of seventh and eighth graders, and I'm standing in the middle of this auditorium, and I'm, I'm crying, and I'm shaking, but I'm, I'm saying to them, like, you don't know me. And I had just lost my father um, to a car accident that summer prior to this happening. And I think I was just fed up with people making fun of me. And it was like, this is my chance to say something. And I got up and I said, you know, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm dealing with. Like you make fun of me and some of you don't even know my name. And so by standing up for myself that day, I had so many students. Now, mind you, these are 12, 13 year old kids coming up and apologizing for their, their bullying and their behavior. And that followed me all the way into high school. I had people that would circle back and be like, I remember when (laughs) you got up in front of everybody. And and so they planted the seed that I wanted to always have that courage to speak up, to have that courage to stand up for myself. And as time continued, um, after I had lost my father, I was only 13 years old and my dad was uh, unfortunately killed in a car accident. And it really put our family through this whirlwind of uh, my cousin had uh, moved in with us. My aunt, my cousin moved in with us. My uncle was unfortunately the driver of this accident. And so mm. he was in, he was incarcerated and my, my family had lived, moved in with us. Mm-hmm. And then my mom had came out uh, right after my father had passed and had said, you know, oh, you know, my, my girlfriend's going to move in with us. So it was this stacking change of your dad just died, your mom's gay, your cousin's living with you, like everything all at once just thrown at us, right? Mm -hmm. And it was probably about a year, maybe a little over a year by the time my cousin and my aunt ended up moving back to Oregon. Mm -hmm. And we were navigating all this change. My mom was uh, in and out. Uh, She was gone a lot. Um, She had a gambling addiction. So she was up in Reno like (laughs) every weekend. And Um, I got really used to her patterns and I went undiagnosed with the depression, the anxiety, the PTSD that came with this traumatic loss of my father and all this stacking change. So every time my mom would leave, I would be calling every hospital thinking like, where is she? She's not home yet. Like Mm -hmm. this panic. And I'm sure there's some listeners who've experienced that. If you've ever experienced a traumatic loss, there's that fear of what if the people that are closest to me die? What if the people closest to me don't don't come home? That abandonment, that, that, um, that sadness that comes with that kind of loss and that kind of trauma. And so here, you know, we think, okay, life is starting to kind of level out. We were getting used to our new life uh, with our mom um, and her girlfriend and, all this change. And 
And then uh, when I was 16, 15, 16 years old, my mom uh, was diagnosed with terminal breast cancer. Mm. And the way that she told us was like, we came home from school, she lined us all up, and we were sitting on the couch. And she just like shows us pictures of her mammograms and was like, I have terminal breast cancer. And it was such a like shocking thing. And we're all like crying. And then she's like, all right, well, we're gonna go to Outback. <laughs> like what? <laughs> so we're like, literally, like traumatized. <laughs> and my mom's like, well, we're done with that. We're going to go out to eat. I'm like, what? <laughs> and that's, that's, that's a form of gaslighting. You know, when you're, when you're learning something traumatic, it's like, okay, we're not gonna, we're not gonna dwell on this. Let's move into the next thing. We're moving on, moving forward. And it was such a wild whirlwind of like, you know, family coming in from out of town, my mom getting, you know, massive surgery to have a mastectomy and, um, go through radiation and chemotherapy. And we're navigating all of this within a, a three-year time span. And in that time, my mother was truly um, in and out of, of our home. It was like she would leave for a week to two weeks at a time. She would take trips without us. If we did go on trips, it was like, okay, well, we're going as a family, but you guys are going to sleep on the floor or you guys are going to sleep in a completely different area or it was that kind of like, she, she was so like disconnected mm -hmm. and I didn't recognize this until I was older and mm -hmm. coping. And I didn't understand what narcissism was until, until I coped with it later in my adult years. And my mother's narcissism was very challenging to navigate. It was a very hot and cold all the time with her. We got used to letters on the counter. I was like, I'm going to be gone for the weekend. And then a week would go by. So I had to learn how to cover for her and to keep this image that everything was okay. So I was constantly in a state of fear, but then projecting that everything was fine, mm -hmm. that I was okay. When, um, when I was about 16 or 17, uh, I got picked up from school by CPS and they came to our house and, you know, if you've ever experienced anything with CPS, they open every cupboard, open every drawer, they interview you. They had my siblings and I separated and interviewed all of us and be like, what's going on at your house? Because somebody, whether it was a teacher or a neighbor, someone had finally gotten fed up with my mom leaving us all the time. Mm -hmm. And it was another season. It was shortly after my mom had disowned me for an entire year. She had uh, separated me from my family. She took my door off the hinges. She put bars on my window and tried to say, oh, we put bars on the window for the basketball hoop. Nobody played basketball in our backyard. It was like, it was like this control of mm -hmm. like, you are going to fear me and you are going to know that I'm in control. I had to walk to school in the rain. Um, I couldn't wear certain things. Um, and she wouldn't let me like sit at the dinner table. If they went somewhere, I had to stay behind that kind of stuff. Just mm -hmm. completely alienated me all because I lied to her about losing my virginity. <laughs> and so here I was this like 16 year old kid and my mother's disowning me, but my siblings need me. I'm trying to keep everything together. I was in this, this really dysfunctional household where it was like, everything's fine. We had family pictures. 
you know, we, we had uh, big Christmases or birthdays just to like have the show that somehow we were this close family, but it was so far from what the image was. Mm. So I was always fearful of speaking the truth. Even when CPS was involved, I was still trying to cover up for my mother. Mm -hmm. And my sister was very much like, well, this is what's really happening. I'm like, oh, she does. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Like she's, she's just angry. Like she, you know, and it was, it was this trying to keep us together because I Mm -hmm. didn't want anything to happen. And so I navigated all of this and it turned out where like, we just had a follow-up after that. We didn't get separated. We didn't end up in foster care. Um, but I had always had that fear of like Mm -hmm. getting picked up from school again. And my mom started showing up more, but she tried to blame me after that. She was just like, you must've said something. And she was out of town for, um, a family member's funeral and she left us at home. And that's when CPS showed up. So she wasn't home when they came. And I'm the oldest. Yeah. Yeah. So I played this role as sister mom, Mm -hmm. you know, so this caregiving role, this codependency on my mother's behaviors and in navigating her narcissism, fearing her reactions, the abuse of um, getting yelled at because she didn't, she did something and somehow it was my fault. And, you know, you better tell me what you're doing, but then disappearing for a week, you know, it was these things that was just such a tough uh, mental load that I, my mother's narcissism was so bad that I had such high anxiety. I ended up going to the doctor and the doctor, which was our family doctor, since we were babies Mm. had said to her, you know, you're causing a lot of stress for your kids and they need to speak to somebody. And she flipped out screaming and yelling at the doctor Mm. and like yanked me out of the doctor's office and was like, we're leaving. We're never coming back here again. Could not take accountability for Mm. the amount of stress that she was causing on her teenage daughter and her kids. I have a younger brother and a younger sister. And so she took me to like four different doctors until one doctor found a very small gallstone. I had my gallbladder removed by the time I was 15 years old. Mm. And it was that like, yeah, it was just her gallbladder causing all that stress, all that, that getting sick in the middle of the night because that's how high my anxiety was. So they had, you have a fraudulent surgery just so you could find something like some type of symptom to be wrong with you. Correct. Correct. So it was Mm. like, here, this is what's wrong with you. You're, you had a gallstone and you had a gallbladder removed. We, I had that surgery and Mm. then next day we went camping and I was in so much pain the next day because I couldn't, God forbid, it ruins my mom's camping trip right. to get surgery. So we went camping. I was so like sick and had a fever and all these things that my mom's friends were like, you guys need to go. And the whole time my mom was yelling at me all the way home, like, you ruined my trip. This is all your fault. Like, that that's the kind of behavior mm. that people, all I wanted was my mother to love me. That's mm-hmm. all I wanted. And so I would take this, this verbal abuse and I would just, I'd start self-blaming. I'm sorry became such a constant in my vocabulary. Right. And so um, I, I, you know, fast forward, I graduated high school and I moved to San Diego with my best friend. And this was kind of my way of a new start. 
I was conflicted leaving where I was like, should I stay here because my siblings need me? But then my mom really pressured me where she was like, you need to move. You need to live your life. You need to start over. You know, it was really that like her, I think, wanting to live vicariously for me of like, you need to go live in San Diego and have this life. So I moved to San Diego and I started college and I lived with my best friend. We had this cute apartment and it was so great. And but I constantly lived in fear. My mom's going to show up anytime. She made me call her in the morning, in the middle of the day, at night. If I didn't check in with her, it was like a huge fight. Mm -hmm. She would take money out of my bank account without asking me. She would do all sorts of stuff. And it got to the point where she did show up unannounced. And my friend was like, what is your mom doing here? And I like had a full blown like panic attack. Like my, what did I do? Like, why is she here? You know? And so it was just constant eggshells with my mother. And when it came to, I was 19 years old in my second year of college, doing really good in school. Mm -hmm. And I got that phone call of, um, you know, it's time. Hospice is going to step in. Your mom, you know, my mom's cancer wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. Mm -hmm. They've exhausted all their their, um, avenues of, of helping her. And... So now it was time to accept hospice. Now, there was no finish up your semester. It was you need to come home right now. So I had dropped a full load semester of 16 units, which was full time school. Mm -hmm. Um, All of my teachers were like shocked, you know, and I was placed on academic probation because of it. Where were you? What were you studying? I was actually studying psychology. So um, yeah, so not only I was doing psychology, and then I was also um, doing business as well. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had these dual things going on, because I wanted to understand human behavior. And then I also wanted to understand business and how to, you know, operations, essentially. And, um, and so I was really sad. It was like, really tough to like, leave school, and then Mm -hmm. to go home and like, really see the end of my mom's life. Yeah. And there is nothing like watching someone die, like losing, losing themselves. Yeah. That they're, they're a shell of a, of a body. And it's like the soul has left the body and the body's disconnected from that soul. I, I can't explain what it was like to watch my mother pass. And in the interim of all this, I was buying a house. Yeah. And, and my mom was like so gung-ho that I was going to close on this house. And I, I closed on my house and I had to go back to San Diego uh, while she was in hospice care. And I came home and she died the next day. All right. Time out. Time out. Uh, uh, Okay. So how far uh, did you used to drive or did you used to fly to San Diego from Sacramento to San Diego? I would fly when it came to coming home. Yeah. So it was a, it was a quick flight. um, But I had, I had spent more time than I, I should have, I guess, because yeah. it was really hard for me to watch my mom in that condition. Um, yeah. If you've ever experienced end of life with someone, it was to the point where she didn't recognize who I was. Um, mm-hmm. Like She was like yelling at me to get out of the house. Like she was like, I don't know who you are in my house, like kind of thing. And just that psychosis that happens um, at the end. And yeah. um, so I flew home and I remember, you know, getting home and holding my mom's hand and telling her that everything was going to be okay. And that I was going to be there and she passed the next morning. And that's when things 
really took a different turn. See, we had already experienced like disconnect after our father passed. Mm -hmm. It was a whole different level when our mom passed. Tama. Okay. So, all right. uh, By the way, guys, Brandy has a brilliant story. And like, I, if I don't say timeout sometimes, then I like, she's just on point with everything that I might not otherwise just get a little deeper into it. So I watched my little, I watched my little brother pass of cancer. He had renal cell par- uh, carcinoma and then he got brain cancer, kidney, hip bone. So it spread all throughout his body. Right. right. Um, so Correct. I know exactly, yeah. exactly where uh, you're coming from with a lot of these different things. How long was she in hospice care? Uh, she was in hospice care for three months. So That's it's actually October. So she came into hospice care October and she passed the day before Thanksgiving. So mm-hmm. it was like right at the end of September and through October and then passed um, day before Thanksgiving. In yeah. 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 My brother was probably in hospice care for about a good two months before like he, yeah. he finally passed. And last thing. So, I was fighting the good fight with my brother until the very end. I did not want it. I thought even when he was in hospice care, I'm like, man, we're going to get through this. Yeah, it's all that, good. That was, oh, yeah. My aunt, my aunt Joanna, shout out to my aunt Joanna. She told me like, Charles, he's waiting for you. He's yeah. waiting for you to let him know that it's okay. And yeah. I couldn't accept it. I got mad at her. I was just so furious. And then I was like, He's she's right. I looked at him and he wasn't happy. He wasn't himself. No, and they're in so much pain at that point too. It's really hard to watch. He was being pumped with so uh, he was being pumped full of so much fentanyl and morphine and stuff too. Pushing that button as often Mm. as he could. He had a no. He had a pump. Oh, he had a full pump. Yeah, a full pump full of morphine and fentanyl the whole time. And they were giving them and they were supplementing them things on the side. So. I, I remember that was the scary. That was one of the hardest things I ever had to do was have that conversation with him. Yeah. To have that conversation like, hey, it's t- it's okay for you to go. I yeah. did. And then my mom did. And, you know, we did together. And at that very moment where my mom and I talked to him together, boom, he, he was yeah. gone. So it's that, that radical acceptance at that point that's so challenging. Yeah. Um, it, there's just no words for that conversation. And, no. You know, it's like I have sincere empathy for for what you experienced. And, I, and honestly, losing a, a sibling is so different than losing a parent. Oh, and that sure. friendship, that friendship that you have with your sibling goes far beyond a relationship that you have with a parent. And it's those pieces that I could never imagine losing my brother or my sister to cancer. I mean, it's you know, as adults, or even as young kids, we understand one day we're going to lose our parents, mm-hmm. we never even consider losing a, a sibling. And because he was also, you know, so young, um, it, it really rocks you in a way that makes you realize how delicate life mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And it's where we start to shift our perspective around, am I living a life that, that I want, or am I merely existing real talk yeah on the other on the flip side of the coin though like my mom did the best that she had with the resources and consciousness that she had yeah you know what i mean she did the best that she could and your mom even though she was a narcissist she still provided what she could for you oh yeah 
Oh like, yeah. And being and being and losing my like losing a mother, like I couldn't even fathom how that is. It's like a different sense of of loneliness. And it's like, where right. do I go from here? Especially oh, yeah. with her being a, a a single parent as well. It's like right. now right. I have to take over as that matriarch right. of the family as well. Dude, right. that's a that's huge. And it's I couldn't a, even imagine. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where when I look through my healing journey, I I look through that lens and I often do this with my clients as well. When I say, you know, when we look at our parent as a person and we say that person could not handle being a parent or that Mm -hmm. person had unresolved trauma that showed up in ways that harmed others, Mm -hmm. we disassociate the role that they were because that person in the role of mother, father, you know, caregiving, whoever it was Mm -hmm. um, may not have met the expectation of the role that, that we might've had for the role. And so to your point, she really was doing the best that she could. And she was actually repeating the behaviors that she had growing up. Mm -hmm. My mother was abandoned young. She was left behind at a young age. Um, you know, lived with her best friend's family and navigated her life in many different ways. So when I look at the tools that she had, or the lack thereof, I should say, she was was operating out of a a space of now narcissism is born of trauma. See, Mm -hmm. that's, that's the thing that people don't talk about with narcissism is it, it is born from trauma, it happens from trauma. And so that space of why not me? What about me that like, that narcissism piece, Mm -hmm. I look at my mother and say, I have empathy for that woman who was so heartbroken and hurting that she could not accept the love that she had in her life, Mm -hmm. that she had tried to control every factor of her image rather than accepting for what it was and to live in the moment more. And it's like with cancer, it was so tough to watch her go through that because she had lost her sister to the same exact cancer that she Mm. had. Mm-hmm. So my mother was triple negative invasive ductal carcinoma. That's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was also a BCRAA gene carrier, which is a BRCA gene carrier. Some people call it BRCA, but um, so her sister had the same gene. Mm-hmm. And so it was always this constant fear of when is cancer going to strike again? Right. Our- if, but when, yeah. Correct. And so Um, It's those pieces where as time continued, I got tested for the gene. And unfortunately, I myself am a gene carrier. Mm. And so it's that hypervigilance of I don't, you know, I got to make sure that I'm healthier, that I take care of myself, that my daughter doesn't go through what I went through. Mm -hmm. So I had to heal pieces of me so that my wasn't repeating these patterns that I had grown up with. Mm Um, these avoidance patterns and coping or these, um, you know, self-harming behaviors around coping Mm -hmm. and with loss, like you said, there's this void of not knowing what to do after someone passes like that. It's kind of like, who am I without them here? Mm -hmm. And my mom had such a control or a codependency in my life that I truly didn't know what to do after my mom passed. Um, I really, I went back to San Diego. I slipped into the party scene. You know, I was partying all the time. I was on academic probation from school, so I couldn't go back to school. 
Um, and I just felt sorry for myself and I was starting to hang out with other people who were hurting as well. Mm -hmm. Um, it was like, I was in this group of friends. I thought everybody was so close and it was great. And then one of the, um, people in the group had passed away suddenly. And now I went into this mode that I knew so well, which was coping with others, you know, where I was like, you know, jumping into action. And, and this now became a kind of a, a space where everybody was coping together, but in a, in a really unhealthy way, just the partying and the, that just negative. And so I got, out of that situation with all of those people, I ended up selling my house in San Diego and I said, I can't do this anymore. I did fight to get back into school and I got back into school. And, um, and then I met my ex who was the first real abusive relationship I had been in. Mm -hmm. And if you've experienced loss and trauma and abuse and those things growing up, you have a very high tolerance for abuse. Mm -hmm. And so when I met this person, we were trauma bonding. It was like this trauma bond of like, well, you came from a rough life. I came from a rough life. We're bonded on that. And then it was like me trying to kind of help him with everything he was going through all the time. But with domestic violence, this trigger that would happen, it was a very trickle down uh, effect of Mm -hmm. how the abuse would start with that. And so it started with verbal, then it started with like grabbing, then it was true, like cops getting called, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I was in that cycle for about four years. And when I finally got out of it, I started working with, um, with Microsoft and I was in that career was my, my like saving grace, right? It was like, oh, this is a place where like, I have camaraderie and I can use my skills and my personality to just shine in this, this job. Well, it was a temporary position and my ex at the time had, um, was stalking me at work and it actually caused me to lose this opportunity with Microsoft. And so it was horrible. I was just felt like everything's falling apart. Everything's wrong. I can't even keep a job that I love because this man is just suffocating me. And so I finally got to that point where I was like, I have to leave. I have to go home. I have to start over. I have to get out of here. I was so stubborn in staying in San Diego. I had lived there for six years. I was Mm -hmm. so stubborn. I did not want to leave. I loved living in San Diego. I was like, I can't leave. I have friends here, yada, yada. But it was to that point that I could not allow myself to suffer. And so what I did is I packed everything I could into my little car. And I called my grandma, who was the only person where I was like, I was defeated. Mm -hmm. Call her. That's how bad it was, where I just said to her, I don't know what else to do. She said, well, you can stay with me, but you are going to get on your feet. And my grandma was a no BS grandma. Okay. Mm -hmm. This was someone who was like, she was not a sweet little old lady. Okay. Mm -hmm. She was very sharp, but for a reason, because she was an independent, very independent woman. And she was like, you are not going to sit here and feel sorry for yourself. And And it was this like, basically whip me into shape of like, you're going to get your shit together yesterday, you know, shout out to grandma. Yeah, (laughs) Grandma was absolutely amazing. And, um, and so I lived with her and then I uh, got my career back with Microsoft. I was getting on my feet again. I got out of that abusive relationship uh, and I moved and it changed my life. So if you're, if you're questioning, if you're someone who is, who is questioning, should I move? Can things change? 
you have to make that uncomfortable decision because you know it's better for you. It's those pieces where I had ruined my credit. I took out payday loans to get moved mm-hmm. because I said, I have nothing to my name. I said, I'm willing to ruin my credit to get out of here. Like I have no choice. I took out like four or five different payday loans off the last paycheck I had from Microsoft. And I literally got myself home on, on, a on a gasp. I don't know how I got home. You know, it was just so, it was so heartbreaking that point in my life where I said, I lived there for six years. I got nothing to show for it. Don't even have my degree, but I got to get out of here. I got to start over. I have no choice. Yeah. So sometimes you have to make the hardest decision of your life to change everything. Mm-hmm. And it changed my entire life to move. And I'm thankful that I did. Yeah. It allowed me to um, restart and then I met my husband, who I've been with now for seven years. He's hey. literally my best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, he accepts me for who I am. Mm-hmm. He took me for who I was. Mm-hmm. And he encourages me to be the person that he knows I, I am capable of being. And so that that true unconditional love existed. And it scared the sh- crap out of me. <laughs> time out. Time out. The, the, yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, I don't want to glaze over the importance of getting into a different environment, quite honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Please, like you're, you're. I, I feel like you know you're emphasizing it, and, and but let's let's just dive just you know just a little deeper into yeah. into how important it was and and some of the main factors that helped you in that different environment to help yeah. you change as a person. Absolutely, I think um, you know as adults, some of us have a lot of pride, and it's mm-hmm. very hard to admit when we need help or when we need to change everything, we fear change. And it was these pieces where when I said to myself, I need to leave, I need to start, I need to get out of here. It was because I felt like I was a shell of myself. I did not feel safe. I did not have stability. I was stealing to survive. It was just awful. I hated it. I hated myself in that situation. And I hated the way I was living. And there are so many people who tolerate horrible circumstances out of saying it is what it is. And I had to get to that point where I said, this is not how it has to be. It's not is what it is anymore. Because when you experience so much trauma and all these things and you're told, you know, get over it, get over it, get over it. And you're, you're just like, it is what it is. You have to get out of that mindset that it is what it is because it's not. You have the power to change the way that you live your life. You can absolutely change your circumstance. You can change your relationships. You can change your career. You have so much more power. You need to lean on your courage because it takes a lot of courage to say, you know what, I'm going to do it. I sold everything I had. I did what I had to do to get that money with the loans. I, you know, limped my car through the grapevine to get to the Bay Area Mm. because I knew that if I had that little ounce of courage to just say, I'm leaving, I'm not coming back, I'm not doing this anymore, breaking the cycle. There's this courage that becomes the growth. It plants the seed of growth. And to get into a new environment meant that temporarily I had to be under my grandma's roof and respect her rules and have structure 
And even though I was sleeping on a cot in her, in her uh, studio, she had like a, a framing studio because my grandmother was an artist. Hmm. And so she set up a cot in her framing studio for me. And I kind of set up my shop and I just remember like, I, I must've wrote my grandma like 65 letters of how sorry I was that I was this like failure of the family. I was like the black sheep of my family, but she took me in. Sometimes you got to lean on the people, you know, are going to love you anyways. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is your grandma or a cousin or a friend that one person, you know, is going to accept you no matter what. And so the changing of circumstance meant that I needed to start building structure in my life. And so that cot then turned into a mattress that I bought and had a mattress on the floor. Then I had a bed frame and then I moved in with my sister in Santa Rosa and I lived with all these other college kids. So I was no longer living with my grandma. I was now edging into that independence again, where Mm -hmm. I didn't have somebody my ex-boyfriend wasn't there, you know, dictating everything to me. I was learning to take ownership of my life, what mm-hmm. was important to me. So when you change your circumstance, you're also having to nurture your mindset. You're also having to step into saying, what do I need? How am I going to get there? What can I sacrifice? What can I do differently? And it was these pieces where I was able to make things start coming together. And I started getting independence. My sister was um, my sister was a chef, and so being a chef in Sonoma County, it was amazing hanging out with her because we would go to all these different restaurants and try different things, and and go to farmers markets and go hiking and do all this stuff. And I felt this connection to myself again. Mm-hmm. So changing my environment, as scary as it was, was the best dang thing I could have done for myself. I was so stubborn trying to stay in San Diego. I mean, down to just the very last straw. Mm. And I finally had to break through and say, it's time for me to just do the hard, take the leap and deal with whatever happens once I move. Mm -hmm. And dealing with whatever happened after I moved was a heck of a lot better than dealing with what I was dealing with by uh, being complacent or... um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, when you just tolerate too much. (laughs) And so sometimes you got to make those decisions. What do you need to move in? Maybe it's not a physical move. Maybe it's leaving people that hurt you. Maybe Mm. it's leaving a job that no longer serves you. Mm. Um, because there's so much power in navigating change, change by choice is the one thing that can allow you to shift your entire life. You have to choose it sometimes. It doesn't just happen because it happens. Although we've experienced that many different times in our lives, the circumstantial change, but it's the power of change by choice. Mm -hmm. And knowing that you are the person who is going to show up for yourself to persevere no matter what. And the environment change can also cause you to see and illuminate clarity on who you are as a person in a new environment. And you need that sometimes. And so making that big move and changing my entire life set me on the course for the life that I have now. And having this life now is I'm a business owner. I'm a writer. I'm a speaker. I have a beautiful daughter whom I absolutely adore. My husband is my best friend, like not to like sound cheesy, but 
I never thought this kind of unconditional love was, was real. Like Mm -hmm. I had always felt like I wasn't good enough. I didn't deserve it, that I was never going to find this kind of love in my life. Mm -hmm. And when you become a parent and you, you hold your child for the first time, it's like, there's everything makes sense. There's just no words for what that feeling is when you're like, there's more to this life than what I've been living. And it really set me on a path of healing myself after having my daughter. So I've been on this healing journey, a deep healing journey for, you know, over seven years now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really got to the roots of what that little girl that was being bullied, what that little girl that lost her father, navigated her mother, went through this loss and this abuse and this change, what she needed Mm -hmm. to thrive so that I could set an example for my own child. And it was these pieces where I didn't want my daughter to, uh, it, she eventually will have to learn about my life. She'll have questions, you know, why don't you, why don't I have a grandma and grandpa, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I have to be delicate in sharing this story with her as she grows. Mm-hmm. But it, God forbid anything ever happens to me, I hope that my daughter understands the power of her own ability to persevere. And it's that leading by example as best as I can. But in that healing journey, I, I learned a lot about myself by putting myself in difficult situations by choice. That's why I collected all these uh, pieces of metal behind me because Mm. uh, Spartan became a metaphor for my life. And it was these pieces where the first race I ever did, I hit a wall. No one tells you when you do Spartan racing that there's a wall before the start line. Mm. <laughs> it's so much like life, right? You think you're going to start something and then boom, you're hit with an obstacle before you even start. So a literal and, wall. Yeah, a literal wall. Yeah. And so I'm like, was not prepared for that. Mm. And I, I kept hitting this wall. I was so embarrassed and my anxiety was rising. I was like, do I, should I be here? I don't even know if I should be here. Mm. And this guy, just as about, I was about to give up. This guy comes up and goes, you need some help? And I was like, (laughs) sir, I don't know if you're ready for this. That man about (laughs) launched me over the wall. And and I sat in the the start line and I said, well, there's no going back now. It's just like our life. Sometimes someone come along and help you get over something and you're like, well, there's no going back now. I guess I got to go on this journey, you know? And so as I, as I got through that race and I, I was super muddy, I was all bruised. I, <laughs> I was like, I can do this. I can do this. Like I had to keep telling myself I could do this. I could do this. Like, mm-hmm. don't give up. It was so much like my life. I remember the very first medal that I got, I was crying out on the way home. And I was just like, this is, this is, this is what it felt like my whole life getting Mm. beat up and still getting through. This is what it felt like. And it ignited me to be like, I want to do the next one. I want to do the next thing and the next distance. And so now I'm, you know, 27 races deep and have been doing this for about three years now. And I'm setting this example, right? It's like, (laughs) I show other people that one athletes don't have a certain look. Okay. Mm -hmm. You can, you can face anything difficult Mm -hmm. in the body you're in now with the mindset to know that you can do anything. Mm -hmm. It's what I mean by that is it takes grit and tenacity to overcome fear, Mm -hmm. to overcome doubt, to ask for help, to help others, Mm -hmm. um, and to get up again, even when you, when you fail. 
And so it's these pieces where that journey um, illuminated me and it strengthened me and it helped me build my courage. And then another piece of my journey that was a big pivotal piece for me was when um, I'm, I became sober. I will be three years sober in February. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. But it was that space where I had to learn that was one other thing that was hindering me from living my life to its fullest. And because I thought, oh, I'm just social, you know, but what I learned was that drinking became a pseudo uh, coping mechanism. And what I mean by that is that if I was drinking, then I could be emotional. If I was drinking, then I could talk about deep stuff. If I was drinking, then I could be extra social. Mm -hmm. And so I had to learn how to navigate my life without that, um, without that self harm of being someone I wasn't. So I stepped fully into my authenticity And what's so important for anyone listening is that your authentic self matters. And what I mean by that is that you're enough just the way that you are. Everything you've been through, everything that you fear people judging you for is what strengthens you. It is your story. And again, you have to know that when it comes to living your life, it is absolutely okay to expire the loyalty to people who do not have positive intent for you. Mm-hmm. And to identify that there are people who have positive intent for you and want you to be happy, not for their benefit, but for yours. Mm-hmm. And that you deserve to be happy in the fullness of your life. Because when we talk about strength, Strength comes from within. And one of my core values with H3 and what H3 stands for is humble hustle health. Mm. It's the three areas of life that have pushed me to be successful. My humble past that shaped me, Mm -hmm. the hustle that I have to work incredibly hard for everything that I have Mm -hmm. and health and health is total health on every level mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, you know, circumstantial, all of it, Mm -hmm. because our health matters, our healing matters. And when it comes to the core values of strong, capable, worthy, is that you are strong enough to do anything you set your heart and mind to, that Mm -hmm. you are capable of meeting your dreams and your goals, and that you are worthy of honoring your success along the way and Mm -hmm. change by choice, Mm -hmm. because we have to choose have the courage to change. If I didn't have courage in all those different seasons that I just shared with you, I wouldn't be where I am today. And so when I, when I reach back and say to you, it's possible to change your life, it's because I'm living proof in doing so. Mm. There were many times that I could have walked different paths and I had to have courage to change my life. I had to have courage to change my mindset. Mm -hmm. I had to have courage to step into the confidence it takes to do things that other people would not for myself. Because again, to drive in that point, you are the person who shows up for yourself to persevere every single time. Mm. There may be people along the way that believe in you or may, may stand beside you, but it is you that does the things for your life. And it's okay to step into the fullness of the joy of the healing of the the true unconditional love that you so freely give to others, you deserve to feel yourself. Wow. And it's possible. It's absolutely possible. 
that is so gorgeous oh my gosh <laughs> brandy i am so proud of you for everything that you've gone through and where you are right now you you deserve every single inch like every morsel of it <laughs> i definitely seat in gratitude around the life that i live now and i think that's one thing as you're on a healing journey mm -hmm. it's very important to have these moments of reflection and gratitude and to honor and respect yourself for all the things that you do for yourself and for others mm -hmm. and um gratitude isn't just oh i'm so thankful for this no right. gratitude is I am thankful for the times that I didn't give up. Mm. I'm thankful for the times that, that I had faced the hard. Mm -hmm. Every season has a purpose and you will go through the motions of every season and allow yourself to come out on the other side with the lessons so that you can carry forward and move forward. We don't move on from the things that we've been through. Mm. We move forward from them. They will always be a part of our life. We cannot change our past, but we can move forward from it. Yes. And, and it's those pieces where there's so many times when you've experienced loss and people are like, you just need to move on. It's like, no, you don't move on. We cannot ignore what has happened, but we sure as heck can choose to move forward. Mm -hmm. And that's a big uh, decision we make every day. Um, but the gratitude is, is very much seated uh, to honor the, the joy of what this life is now. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Goodness gracious. <laughs> well, you, you're such a blessing to so many people. I can see it in every single person that you've introduced me to, but also with myself. And I mean, I'm, I'm just uh, blessed to be, you know, to, to be able to call you a friend and to be able to be a blessing today on the Drop Your Badge Podcast. <laughs> Thank and you. Thank you. On the Drop Your Badge <laughs> Podcast, we talk to people that are dope that can give you hope like Brandy <laughs> clearly can and also uh, teach you a technique that can help you cope. Now, what that technique is, is a neurolinguistic programming technique called mental and emotional release. Now, for anyone that uh, anyone in the audience that would love to experience mental and emotional release, number one, please go to a, a, a certified practitioner of neurolinguistic programming, or you can go to um, charleswolfwork.com, and I can definitely uh, show you a lot of different things as far as the technique is concerned personally as well. Go to the front page, fill out a form. Uh, I, I love to meet you. And with that, I would love to tell you, Brandy, that I am not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a therapist or a counselor or a social worker or none of that. I'm just an alternative to all those wonderful things that help you heal. I love it. <laughs> yes, let's get it. All right. So with that, you wanted to release uh, hurt and disappointment. Now, I can see like throughout your story that you felt plenty of that. Um, why did you want to release that today? Um, I think that it's something that tends to linger in my journey. Not that I haven't faced this many different times in my healing journey, um, but that there are things in my life that have caused hurt that I didn't talk about on air today, but that I, I need to release hurt and disappointment. Mm -hmm. And this is something that people will have to do throughout your healing journey. And I think it's absolutely incredible that you are someone who's able to help and practice alternative healing methods on a healing journey. There is a, not a one size fits all. No. 
And so there are many different ways um, to face your healing. So this is one of those ways that I was curious to see how this may help me um, kind of break through those those hurts that try to linger in my life still. And what way do in what ways do they linger or affect you still today? Um, I think one of the biggest things that's been hardest for me is losing relationships with people that I care about the most. Um, And I know that it has a lot to do with their unresolved and their trauma. And so I cannot, I cannot fight for myself in ways that cause me self-harm, if that Mm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I refuse to continue chasing after rejection. And so when I have this hurt, it's because it comes from a person that I love so, so much and they continue to reject me. And it's really tough to be misunderstood for someone that I'm not. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, and to navigate that pain that comes from losing that relationship with someone. Um, And, and it's, it's that I've, said all that I can say and Mm -hmm. I have done all that I can do. And when it comes to those pieces of feeling like, Oh, you know, am I good enough? It's that I cannot, um, I cannot be someone, I cannot be who I am if that person invents me to be someone I'm not. Mm -hmm. So that, that person is, is coping with somebody that I am not. Mm -hmm. So that feeling of being misunderstood, um, and not wanting to chase after the rejection, the cycles of rejection that have come from this person have been, uh, deep in my life. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so that's been a really tough thing to navigate in the hurt and in the, the sadness that comes with that rejection. Has it been hard for you to establish new relationships because you're like, um, you're yeah, I mean, this, by the the hurt that may come in the future. Yes, yeah, I've I've been let down by friendships and uh, family relationships in this level of rejection, mm-hmm. um, where I've truly given my like heart and soul to these yeah. people, and they have um, truly harmed me on levels that um, that are just unspeakable. You mm-hmm. know, so it's it's those things where like I get afraid of entering new relationships with people out of the lack of trust that I have to not be hurt. Every person in my life um, that I have placed a deep trust in has hurt me. Mm. And that's, that's including relationships I have now that I've been able to forgive the hurt. Um, So the lack, the fear, the fear of trusting people on a deep level, I kind of feel like I have this, um, this guard where like, I'm authentically me, I'm not going to change who I am for anybody. But I do not let people into my emotional vulnerability anymore, Mm -hmm. because of that fear of of being truly deeply hurt on on levels of of um, it's shocking, truly. (laughs) So one thing that you are very adamant about is uh, just living true to yourself and your full authenticity and yeah. by holding back within a friendship that is kind of um, smoldering or like, you know, resisting that that full authenticity. How do you think that's affecting your, your friendships? Um, I think, you know, I do. 
the friendships that I do hold the, the, that I trust, mm. um, I am fully authentically me of course. where I don't, um, I don't help people on the levels that I used to. What I mean by that is I don't help with self-sacrifice. I used to self-sacrifice in ways where I would throw myself aside, drop everything I'm doing mm-hmm. um, and be there for people. Um, I would let people live with me or pay their bills or, you know, things that were truly self-sacrificing to make someone else happy. Mm-hmm. And although that's an authentic piece of me, I had to understand that that was also a displaced coping mechanism in a people pleasing sense of feeling like I had to self-sacrifice to be loved. Mm-hmm. And so I will authentically share um, pieces of myself and my story and who I am as a person Mm -hmm. without expectation of anyone. And what I mean by that is that I don't expect people to accept me or reject me in me sharing my story is that that's my authenticity. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a quirky person. Like I am very like witty and silly and I have like a childlike spirit. So when Mm. people see me like any of my in-laws or my friends or anyone that sees me being like my silly self, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't care if you like me or not. Like I'm just, I'm just who I am. I'm living my life and my joy. Um, So when I say holding back, I think what I mean by that is that I don't let people access me on a level where I'm being used. Uh, I don't let people use me. I don't let people access me and my um, my loyalty in that way where like, I'm a very loyal friend. I just don't go above and beyond for, for people unless I know that person is someone who respects me and would respect me going above and beyond for mm-hmm. them. Um, so I think now respect is more earned rather than given. Yeah. Like. Although I give human respect, mm-hmm. um, the relationships that I carry, the respect is more earned. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I hope that answers. The no, question. no, you're right. No, yeah. You're right on point because I didn't want to, uh, like, no disrespect at all. I didn't want to say that yeah. you weren't being authentic as far as being yourself. I mean, of course, you're going to no, be. No, no. Yeah. Like just that. that- that part yeah. of you that like it just wants to give and keep giving and yeah. just, you yeah. know what I mean just be like just always ha- have that wholehearted full-hearted to where someone can potentially take advantage of that that's what I mean exactly. like that's, pulling back. that is yes I, you know I, mean? I feel like I have more bearing now yeah. around that part of me <laughs> yeah yeah like I, I feel the exact same way I, I felt I felt the exact same way before just because I didn't have any like those boundaries that you have, I didn't have those, you know? Yeah, I, mean? I, did, like, I did not either. I, it's <laughs> a long time to get boundaries. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and you know, it's like, once you start setting boundaries with people, that's why those relationships were lost because I was setting boundaries right. and I was saying, no, you cannot take advantage. No, you yeah. cannot talk to me like that. No, yeah. you cannot use me like that. Mm-hmm. And they didn't like that. So instead it was like, let me just reject you and, and, you know, throw you away mm-hmm. because you're not doing what I want you to do and compromising yourself. And so boundaries are very important. And I got, I got to the point where I was like, I felt guilty for setting my boundaries, but then I also had to say like, I should not be putting other people before my own child, before myself, before my husband, like these boundaries needed to be set. And as painful as it was to put my foot down Mm. um i had to learn that real friends 
real family, they will respect your boundaries when you say no. They will say, fair enough. No worries. I understand. And I've experienced that side of the coin. Mm -hmm. So I, I recognize that in the healing journey, boundaries will be important piece of anyone's healing journey. Those who respect your boundaries are people who respect you. Mm. Ow. What what bars? It's, it's just, it's true. <laughs> boundaries are necessary. Some, and boundaries don't always have to be hard boundaries. Boundaries can simply say, I don't have the energy to go out today. Thank yeah. you for inviting me. And they're like, no worries. I'll let you know next time. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't have to be an argument. Doesn't have to be a manipulation. Doesn't have to be a guilt trip. Just, right. all right, I'll invite you next time. I hope you, you know, have a good night, whatever. That's simple. Right. But it's, that's part of the, the, the unlearning and relearning, right? Mm -hmm. 100%. Good job. All right. All right. So very cool. So we're going to release the hurt and disappointment today. All you got to do in order for this uh, experience to be very profound are three things. Number one, got to use your imagination. Number two, you got to trust the process. And number three, you have to, um, oh, you have to follow directions. Okay. All, right. <laughs> All directions, just like you follow a recipe or you follow Google Maps. Um, and we we made a timeline before. Now, with that timeline, your past can be to your left, to your right, or behind you. If you were to know, where's your past? Behind me. <laughs> Where, right. Where's your future? In front of me. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, all right. Awesome. So let's get into it. Is it all right with your unconscious mind for you to release this hurt and disappointment today and for you to be aware of it consciously? Awesome. What is the root cause of this problem? The first event, which when disconnected, that will cause this problem to disappear. If you were to know, when was the first time that you felt hurt or disappointed? When you were like between the ages of birth and seven. Okay. I was going to say, I was like, you need an age. Um, I would say probably like six. Do you have a specific event in mind? Um, I was incredibly terrified of lightning at my school to Mm -hmm. where I was like hiding under my desk Mm -hmm. and they called my mom and she wouldn't come get me from school. And then when I got home from school, I was like berated of like that I was being a baby or that I was being, you know, too emotional that I embarrassed her. Mm -hmm. Um, That's like one of the times I can think of, being disappointed that I needed help and yeah. nobody helped me. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Now with that, that is a, a good example of a, of a, um, a, a root cause right there. Um, you can feel that all the way from back then. So well, let's go ahead and start the process. You can go ahead and close your eyes and relax and let me know when you're ready to, for the process to drop your baggage. Okay. Awesome. Now, just imagine floating up above your timeline and float deeper and deeper and deeper into the past. Above that first event in which you felt hurt or disappointed when you were just a little girl. And just hover above that little girl, seeing her from a third person point of view, like a fly on the wall. And just be the observer of the event. Let me know when you're there. Okay. Now stay right there, being the observer, like a fly on the wall, hovering right there. Now, just ask your unconscious 
mind what it needs to learn from the event. The learning of which will allow you to let go of the emotions easily and effortlessly. Your unconscious mind can preserve the learnings so that if you need them in the future, they'll be there. Just tell your unconscious mind to preserve the learnings. This is an exercise of forgiveness and acceptance. Forgiveness for yourself and others and acceptance of yourself and others. Who do you have to forgive? What do you have to accept? Who do you have to accept? This exercise works best when you display forgiveness. Or I'm sorry, this exercise works best when you display compassion and empathy for yourself and others, especially others. Focus your attention upon how hurt people hurt people. We're all doing the best that we can with the resources and consciousness that we have. We can't control anyone else's actions, but we can control our response. We can grow stronger and wiser and learn from people's actions and mistakes. Other people's actions have nothing to do with you. It's only a reflection of their baggage or whatever, or whatever they're going through at the time. And we're better people than we were when those events occurred. You're a better person than you were when those events occurred. Very importantly, what is something positive and empowering you can tell that little girl and your mom and everyone else involved in the event with the consciousness that you have today that will allow the emotions to evaporate like water on the concrete on a hot summer day? And as you preserve these learnings, the emotions are starting to dissipate more and more until they're all gone. Just let me know when they're all gone. Take your time. Okay. Awesome. Now, what did you, with your eyes closed and you observing the event, what did you learn from the event? Do you want me to answer that? <laughs> yes, please. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> please tell me, what did you learn from the event? <laughs> um, I would say that... Um, that as a child, when just not understanding that you're safe and just really speaking to the volume of being safe and that the teacher was trying to protect and that my mom was just at work and may have been frustrated with being interrupted at work and who knows what she was going through at work and they couldn't get a hold of my dad. So it was just that I was a little kid and I thought to myself also that my daughter is six years old. Hmm. And so if she was scared, I may not necessarily rush off to the school or not be able to rush off to the school to pick her up. And so hmm. I think that may have been what happened with my mom and that maybe she just didn't emotionally respond appropriately out of her whatever frustration she was feeling and so just that empathy piece of of understanding like as a mom at six years old she mm -hmm. also had a three-year-old and a newborn baby so mm -hmm. just kind of having all of that stress on her and getting a phone call like you're calling me because my daughter's freaking out about lightning like i'm sorry but i cannot be there right now mm -hmm. you know so um 
So just kind of that space of having the empathy um, for her as a parent. Mm -hmm. And then also for the little girl piece of me being that, um, that I was safe and that I was able to calm down after some time had passed and um, just feeling safety is the one thing that I was, I guess, um, nurturing in that, that past uh, scene. Well, <laughs> that's right. Very good. Now, with you observing the event with your eyes closed, tell me what is something that you could take with you into the future to make you a better person? Um, I would say just in that specific event and the feelings that came with it is to practice grounding in safety, just emotional safety or um when things are out of the control to know that there's a, la- a layer of safety, that there is somebody who wants you to feel safe, just like the teacher wanted me to feel safe. Mm. Um, and to have empathy and forgiveness. If somebody cannot show up for me, how mm. can I calm myself down? Mm. Mm-hmm. So I would say that um, those pieces of calming the self down. That's right. Yeah. Very good. Awesome. Now, just imagine floating up above your timeline and float deeper and deeper and deeper into the past above the dinosaurs during the prehistoric age. Let me know when you're above the dinosaurs. Okay. Awesome. Now, as you're above the dinosaurs, float deeper and deeper and deeper into space to where space and the atmosphere connects. And imagine your timeline is the size of a fingernail. Let me know when you're there. Okay. Awesome. Now just imagine floating there, weightless, in space, and ask yourself now, where are the emotions? Tell me, are they there or have they disappeared now? Disappeared. Awesome. Now just imagine floating down inside that root cause event. When you were just a little girl, seeing through your own eyes as a little girl and check on the emotions. Tell me, are they there or have they disappeared now? Disappeared. Awesome. Flow back above the dinosaurs and then float into space to where space in the atmosphere connects. Let me know when you're there. Okay. All right. Listen closely. Flow very, very high above your timeline above each and every event in which you felt hurt or disappointed from birth until now in chronological order. Don't skip one event that has a charge on it. Preserve the learnings and let go of all that hurt and disappointment all the way back to now. Go. Okay. Awesome. Flow down into your body and open your eyes when you're ready. My ring light, so bright. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> like astral projection. <laughs> very good. Very, very good. How do you feel? Good. I think um, there's that like revelation of it, you know, that's kind of like all these times where just feeling like that I was really enough you know, Mm -hmm. 
I've always been enough. Mm. And that, um, that, like you said, you know, hurt people, hurt people. Mm. And that what happened to me wasn't a direct cause of me, but because of whatever I triggered in that, those people Mm -hmm. it caused their hurt to manifest onto me, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just interesting to kind of see it from that perspective. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's let's test out this uh, to see about your triggers. So uh, first of all, do you smell bacon? No. <laughs> That's an NLP technique to help you get your mind off of the off the meditation. <laughs> That's a question I ask. <laughs> it's like, everybody's like bacon. All right. No. <laughs> um, can you remember a time in the past in which you used to feel that old emotion? And go back and notice if you can feel it, or you may find that you cannot. Uh, well, yes and no, mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know. Like, I feel like I feel like I know I've experienced those emotions, mm-hmm. but I feel like that it doesn't feel the same. If that yeah. makes sense, that feels that's exactly how it's supposed to feel. Like is the charge still around it right like i acknowledge that those events or feelings happen mm-hmm. but that the, that the emotional charge isn't there the uh emotional feelings they're the triggers of that feeling isn't there yeah yeah that's that's exactly the the effects that i wanted all right now another one i want you to imagine going out into the future to an unspecified time in the future in which if the same thing would have happened in the past, you would have felt hurt or disappointed, but it's the future now. So see if you can find that old emotion or you may find that you cannot. Yeah, no. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's more of a feeling of, of I don't want to say control, but just uh, awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Congratulations. You just released <laughs> some disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the trigger before and now afterwards. Um, How easy would it be able to tap into it? I mean, um, I mean, the trigger that the disappointment before, I think, would be just feeling a loneliness mm-hmm. or a sadness. Whereas I feel like if something like that was to happen, I wouldn't feel so lonely just out of the, I feel self-aware and just my own self love, I guess Mm -hmm. my own Mm self-acceptance so that I don't have to deny that self-acceptance or that self-love. If someone uh, hurts me or tries to hurt me or walks away from me or whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, um, I don't think I would feel the same kind of harm. Very I, think I, I think I would feel more at peace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, the things that you didn't think about or that you didn't talk about earlier, um, as far as the relationship with those people, how do you feel about them now? Um, I think it's more of a layer of not taking it so personally Mm -hmm. that it's not me as a person that caused that behavior in them you know it's just that I'm aware that I'm not the person 
that it's like this awareness that their pain is not for me to absorb. Mm-hmm. Amen. That, that that pain is not for me to absorb or to process. Um, so that the pain I felt out of being misunderstood, I think is more the feeling of um, peace and knowing that I, I am who I am authentically and mm-hmm. all I can do is be who I am in my action and mm-hmm. not have to explain something that I'm not, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have to, to fight for myself. I can only just be who I am and let my action and my personal self speak for who I am, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, <laughs> more of a piece, I think, of just knowing that if the relationship ever repaired, it would come from that person's healing as my healing is separate from theirs. Amen. Amen. Like you said, not taking in as personal, not seeing that you're responsible for that person in any way as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the harder pieces when we do these release uh, understanding of the release is that I'm not responsible for that person um anymore so it's kind of those pieces where i'm responsible for myself Mm -hmm. myself only um even i mean obviously i have a child and that that's a responsibility as being a parent but Mm -hmm. but what it comes to the emotional responsibility is my own Mm -hmm. amen was there a part that was hard to do in this whole process Um, I think accepting the grace of just understanding the pieces of looking at the, the overhead of it, of just like trying not to skip uh, events. Like, even though it's really rapid, you just kind of like think of all the different events and to just not like micro uh, we're looking for, like, like, micro analyze every single thing mm-hmm. so i kind of just like looked over major events that that had happened or mm-hmm. caused pain um i think also just that like knowing that i'm being listened to was another thing where i knew i was kind of cutting myself short that would probably say where i'm like i probably could have been a little bit more attentive in the timing wise but mm-hmm. um but I have a long timeline, so. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> I don't want to sit here for an hour and That's, silence. <laughs> hey, it's all pre-recorded. I tell you, take your time, girl. <laughs> That's true. Like, just cut that part out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I added all the meditation parts. So, yeah, you know. But I do, I would say um, in all of my experience with mindful meditation, mm-hmm. That's why I have that like tiredness about me. (laughs) Um, One thing to experience when uh, just speaking to the viewers here is that whenever you step into an alternative healing method and you truly do give it your full attention in those moments, um, these feelings of tiredness do kind of strike you (laughs) Um, just because it's like a, it's so much of a release Mm -hmm. at once. Um, that the energy of it being lifted is like doing 10 years of work in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So it, it is tiring, you know? So, but it's a good tired. <laughs> hey man, the, um, how many memories did you go through? 
like um i tried to kind of shuffle through childhood like adolescence teenage um early 20s and then late 20s so just kind of i'd say maybe like two or three events from each of those eras just kind of like glancing into some of those pieces and then moving through that so like eight to ten maybe yeah, I'd say probably about eight to ten. Yeah. Um, just kind of seeing the hurt. I think a lot of those images for me were more isolating, like isolating after being hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, like those, like those, like hard cries when you lock yourself in your room, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, but just the comforting of like that that I felt in that moment of like I don't know, just more like the peace and comfort of it of mm-hmm. like knowing that I don't think those people meant to hurt me in particular. Mm -hmm. I think they were hurting themselves by hurting me, Mm -hmm. you know? Can you talk about the, of course they didn't. I mean, we're all doing the best that we can. Right. And also they have their own baggage. So with their baggage, they're going to react the way that they need to. So like you said, it's not, it's about not taking it personally. Right. Exactly. For a second. Can you tell us about like the, the feeling that you had after, changing your perspective and then letting it go. Cause you obviously had that feeling of from time to time, to time especially that first time to yeah. where you like, let it go. How did that feel? Um, I would say like a peace and a grace of just like an exhale. Yeah. That's like a feeling I can like, you know, when you just hold your breath for so long and your chest is really tight from mm-hmm. just like, like, Oh, what's going to happen. Um, it's kind of that, like that exhale of like, it's okay. Yeah. You know, like I, I think that's the only thing I could kind of describe in it and um, relief. Very good. Ah, that's what's up. Congratulations. You just released a bunch of hurt. I heard <laughs> disappointment. I love it. I love it. Like um, you deserve it. <laughs> Thank you. Of course. That's definitely um, it's a journey. <laughs> Tell me about it. 150%. <laughs> well, Brandy, thank you so much for showing up for your divine appointment, for answering my direct message and just for for being here so I can be a blessing as well. And for all the women that you're blessing me with, because Brandy here has introduced me to so many other rock stars that are also going to be on the show. Uh, Brandy, before we go, can you please give us more one more word of wisdom? I would say, um, one, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate your time and your dedication to share all of these different journeys with your audience. Um, You're coming from such a heart-centered space uh, to show people that healing is possible. And so I just really thank you for that opportunity. And um, my, my final piece of advice is to continue to show up for yourself no matter what that healing is hard, but it is so worth it to, to, to act on the courage so that you can have the confidence to live the life of your dreams and your dreams matter. <laughs> Amen. You're such, a, you're such a goddess. I love you. <laughs> thank and you. thank you all so much out there for giving us your attention and your support. Once again, if you're on YouTube or Facebook, please consider hitting the like and subscribe button. And if you're on a podcast platform, give a brother five stars and some feedback. And uh, this is where we talk to people that are dope, that can give you hope and teach you a technique that can help you cope. And until uh, next time, ladies and gentlemen, um, I love you. Take care of yourself and take care of one another. Peace.